I want to start with just a, uh, a thought experiment. I want you to use your imagination. For some of us, this will be easy. Others, it'll be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but it doesn't matter where you're at on the faith spectrum this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian a very, very long time. You feel like you could give this message better than I could. I'm sure you could. But uh, some of you might just be a couple months into the faith journey. Some of you are exploring. Some of you used to, would call yourself a Christian, maybe not anymore. Uh, wherever you're at on that, I want us to just imagine with me. Use your imagination. What, if, what would it be like if tomorrow morning you woke up and you had absolute peace and confidence that One, that there really is a God in the universe. That that this God is a personal God. That this God knows everything, including everything about you. And in spite of that knowledge, this God desires to have a relationship of growing trust and love with you. And then finally, that this God is in control of all things. He's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Imagine... Again, none of us are there, so, so this, this requires some imagination on all of us. But imagine if you just had absolute perfect trust in that kind of God, what, what you would wake up like tomorrow. Imagine the peace that w- would be in your soul. <laughs> imagine not being afraid about your job or your, your marriage or your kids or, or your, your classes or, or anything, really, because God's got this. Imagine when, yeah, if temptation comes your way and you just, you just know God is there with you and you know that though it's going to be hard, you're, you're, he's going to provide you the resources to, to trust in him and, and walk with him and turn away from that. Imagine that if, if something amazingly good happened in your life and you got a bunch of money or whatever, but all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm not going to let it change me because I'm, I just trust God. Imagine when just life hits, and on this side of eternity, life does hit. But in that moment when the doctor calls, or, or, or you're going through a divorce, or, or whatever the case may be, in, in just the toughest moments, imagine if you're able to just say, you know what, God, I, I believe you. I, I'm trusting you in this. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine having the kind of faith, that, if that was that kind of faith, people would, would come and they would, they, they would question God on your behalf. Like, hey, do you, do you understand? What, are you paying attention to the real world here? Like, there's no way you could be at such peace like that. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm actually paying more attention than you are. I'm, I'm looking beyond this. And, and they would feel like they'd have to give you information, right? Like maybe you know someone that's pretty far down that road in the trust category and you're just like, man, what is wrong with them? Don't they, don't they see the news? Don't they see what's going on geopolitically that, that uh, the politicians act like preschoolers and they have nuclear weapons? Like, uh, doesn't that cause something in you? Like, is your IQ low? Like, why, why aren't you freaking out like the rest of us? And you say, well, I'm just, I'm trusting God. And you like doubt God on their behalf? Like, man, why would God do that to this person? And, and they're just like, I'm sorry, this is shaking your faith, but I just, I just have, have trust in God. Now, as, now, for some of us, that's a wild imagination. For others, like, man, yeah. But, but there's something in that, in all of us, I believe, that it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. And I'm here to say this morning that that is what God wants. That is where God wants to lead every one of us. That is, God, God wants to have a growing, trust, deepening relationship with him and that you can just have confidence in him. 
Last week, we started this series as, as we kicked off the new year, just as a way to uh, kind of join the culture and say, this is a time to look back on our lives, to look forward, to see where we're going. Uh, this series called Life on Purpose. And last week, we saw what we call the principle of the path. And, and the Bible is, is full with, uh, of just showing us what we already know innately to be true, that, that w- in every area of your life, you are on a path. In every relationship, you are on a path. And that path has a destination. So we said the principle of the path is direction, not intention, determines our destination. So not what I'm telling everybody, not what I hope, but what path am I actually on? Where does that lead? For better or for worse, do I want to end in those destinations? And so we looked at kind of the the principle of the path book of the Bible in in Proverbs. And we looked at this young man who lacked wisdom in in Proverbs chapter 7. And he was on a path. He thought he was on an amazing path that that was all that he ever wanted. But but, but Solomon showed us, actually, you're on a path that leads to death. And we said last week, you don't even have to know this guy. You don't have to know God. You don't have to know anything. Uh, A few sentences into the story, we know it so innately. Yeah, you're going on a bad path, dude. but, But you don't know it. Because that where we live often, a disconnect. A disconnect between what we want and and know that this path leads there and and what we actually do. So we do that physically. Like I want to get in shape this year, but Krispy Kreme donuts are half price today. So that's a path. Like I want, but I go this way. That that leads somewhere eventually. Um, And then, so we said this is true in your finances, in your marriage. It's it's true in, in your education. It's true in your career. All these things that you're on a path. And those are very, very important paths. But Jesus ups the ante in the New Testament because God is after something very important for us. And he's always been after something very important. Uh, More than your uh, sheer obedience to him, more than your knowledge to him, God has always been after uh, a, a deepening relationship with him. And, and this relationship uh, was established in the garden. And, and that the, the, the problem that went wrong was, was a trust issue. Adam and Eve, they, they didn't trust God. They didn't trust that God had their best in mind. They, they thought, God, we can't trust you. You're holding out on us. We're, we're going to go for that. And, and relationship and trust was broken. And a chasm between sinful man and, and holy God entered into the time and space. And, and God has been pursuing us uh, on a pattern to reestablish trust and relationship ever since. And Jesus says this is what the the ultimate path is about. And so as you go through the Bible, uh, God calls out a people for himself. And he he wants to show the world what it's like to be in relationship with him. And so he delivers them in an act of power and mercy and majesty, an act of uh, establishing trust out of Egypt. And and out of that relationship, then he says, here's what it looks like to live in a relationship with me. Here's what, what the law is. But it's always relationship and then law, a relationship, and then this is how it works. It's never the other way around. So it it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus comes, he doesn't give us 10 new commandments. He's not like those other 10 were too hard. None of you did it. Maybe these. Can you tie your shoes in the morning? Good. No. Or seven. Or giving you seven, you get four out of seven, you're in. Like, that's not what Jesus does. It's never about our performance. It's about our trust. In our relationship, it's what honors God the most. And it's what any relationship, as a husband, it's what honors me the most. When, when my wife says, I don't know what, what he's doing, I don't know, but I just know I can trust him. We have this relationship. My kids, when they trust me, that's what honors me the most. So 
So Jesus ups the ante on the principle of the path in the New Testament. He says, all those other paths, like, be wise. Like, he wants you to do well on those paths. But, but honestly, you can fail on those paths. But if you fail on this one path, he, he called it the narrow path and the wide path. Matthew 7, 13, 14. He says, there, there is a wide path. It's easy. A lot of people are on it. But in the end, it leads to death. He says, but there's a narrow path. It's hard. It's narrow. Few find it. But in the end, it leads to life. You can fail on all the other paths in your life, but you miss this one. You miss it forever. And on that path, ultimately, it's a path of growing in confidence and relationship and trust in God. That's where God wants us to go in this one. So I want to share with you a, just a, a, an amazing story in the New Testament found in the, the Gospel of Mark. If you, or, I'm sorry, Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. If you have that, Matthew chapter 8. And I want to just look at this passage where this issue of having faith in God. And just to, so you can see, this is what God is after for every one of us. This kind of big, outside-the-box faith. That's what God is doing on the narrow path. That's where He wants to take us this morning and to Together as a church. And so before I uh, go to the word, let me just pray for us one more time that he would open our eyes. So Father, we do come before you in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we uh, pray that you would position our hearts right now and our minds right now to, to hear from you, hearts to be humble enough to hear from you. God, none of us uh, are at the end of that path, and so we, we need your help to walk this journey. Would you use your word now by your spirit to speak to each one of us and together as a faith family to the end that Jesus is seen and he's savored, he's loved, he's known, and that he is glorified. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. So, so Matthew chapter 8, this is right after where we left off last week, right after the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus comes down and he's going to be amazed. Only two times in the New Testament that it says that Jesus is amazed. And imagine doing something that you amaze Jesus. That, we're going to see that takes a lot to do, but he's going to be amazed at something that happens here. And so we want to pay attention with that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. So when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So in the life and ministry of Jesus, sometimes the crowds were there, sometimes they were gone. And, and Jesus is never impressed with the crowds. The, the disciples were impressed with the crowds. Like, they're like, this is awesome. We're not the man, but we're with them. We're in the entourage. We're his homeboys. Like, come on, everybody. We're, did, 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 did you know we're like his best friends? Yeah. So these great crowds, thousands of people would come and kind of follow Jesus around. And, and they would listen to his teaching. And they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. And they'd see him heal. And they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. And, and the disciples are like, this is it. We're, we're, you know, this is what we've been hoping for. This is, this, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And so uh, he, the crowds are following him. And then something odd happens. Matthew says, and behold, look, pay attention. A leper came to him. 
Now, now leprosy, I don't know what the deal is in first century in leprosy, but it seems to be all over the place. Uh, And if you had leprosy, you you were automatically considered unclean. The belief was that that God had had somehow, uh, you were a sinner, somehow in judgment of you, it gave you this leprosy. And so not only were you physically unclean, you were spiritually unclean. And so you had to walk down the street proclaiming in a loud voice, unclean, 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 so that people could get out of the way. You weren't to sneak up on anybody because you were unclean. And, and somehow in this massive crowd, this, this leper is able to work his way to Jesus. And everyone kind of uh, steps back and they're like, what, what is going on with this unclean? We, Jesus is our rabbi. We don't need anybody unclean here. But he comes to him and knelt before him and saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now think about that. that, that that's some amazing faith. He sees in Jesus like, uh, you, you, you can do it. I don't know that you're going to do it, but I, I trust you. You can make me clean. And they're like, wow, that's, that's kind of big faith. Verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand to the horror and shock of the crowd and touched him. Because if you touch someone who's unclean, the the, the thought is you're unclean. And they're like, no, our rabbi's going to be unclean. But what they didn't know is when Jesus touches the unclean, he he doesn't become unclean. The unclean become clean. Okay, you're working that out. So he says, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Wow is cleansed immediately. Healing takes place. Like, the crowd has seen this before. They give a little golf clap. Yeah, Jesus, that's cool. What else are you going to do? That's cool. We, we were worried for a moment, but obviously you're, you're not unclean, so, so that's good. What else? The crowd kind of murmurs about this. But then, verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, it's in, it's in the north, it's where he grew up, it's his hometown, a centurion came forward to him. Centurion. Centurion means he's a, a, a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred other soldiers. The crowds are very large, so he, he's probably got all 100 marching in order. These are the bad guys. These are the worst guys. These are the oppressors. These are the guys that would come and say, I need you, you, and you, and uh, you never see them again. These are the guys who would take whatever they want. These are the guys you hide your women and your children and your silverware, everything from. These are the guys who uh, would bring the cross to the land. These are the guys that would, would, would just be uh, terrible, terrible people. They worship Zeus. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They'd never been to the temple. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. They ate pigs. They're dirty. They're awful. Uh, Simon, one of the disciples, before his following Jesus, is called Simon the Zealot. That means he was part of a political movement that sought to undermine and even murder Romans. So if he could take out two, that was a good advantage. And so that's, there's just a level of animosity and hatred that I don't know that we can fully wrap our minds around when the centurions come walking through the crowd. Just as a constant reminder of their oppression their, their, their evil hearts, their wickedness, and not in the Boston sense, like bad. Like they, they're, 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 they're bad. And so Centurion comes forward. Verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. At this point, just using my imagination, I imagine the disciples are like, good, good. We're glad he's suffering. We, we hope you go back, and we hope it's contagious, and, and you suffer. 
that, that would be good. That, that would show some evidence of God at work. Matter of fact, maybe you could take that back to Rome and it could spread. This is awesome. Good. We're glad he's suffering. And, and so that's why they're shocked when in verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Or maybe your translation has a, has a question. Do you want me to come and heal him? And at this point, the disciples are like, no, 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 no. Jesus, like we just got the crowds. you're reaching rock star status. We can't do anything. You can't heal Romans, especially centurions. Like, there's lots of Jews that need to be healed. We can still keep this going. Don't mess it up now, Jesus. Don't mess this up. But Jesus says, I'll come. Do you want me to come? I'll come. Well, then verse 8, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, he's right. <laughs> he's right. You can't, like, one, you're Jewish. Like, you, you can't go into a Gentile's home. But, but two, he's a centurion. Of course, he's not worthy. But, but, but they, they're, they're actually quite short-sighted. Because the fact is, he is right. He understands something has happened. We know that whatever faith that he has in this moment, we know that faith is a gift from God. And somehow, someway, he sees in Jesus, I am not worthy to be in your presence. It, it, your holiness exposes me for who I am. I'm not worthy to have you come. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm, I'm just crying out to you. And meanwhile, the crowd the, of the Jews and everyone, they're like crowding around, falling around. No one's asking the question, are we even worthy to be in his presence? But they're not worthy either. But only one man knows it in this moment. And he knows nothing of the Ten Commandments. He knows nothing about obeying God. He knows nothing about uh, the history. He just knows you are someone that I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You're, and as far as I know, you're, you're, you're a son of God. And so he says, don't, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. Don't come into my roof, under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. Long pause. Like, wow. That's some, that's some big faith. Like, just say the word. How, how in the world does this pig-eating Gentile pagan oppressor have that kind of, of faith? He gives an explanation, verse 9. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say go, and he goes, and to another uh, come and he comes and to my servant do this and and he does it. He says, I, I've been watching you, Jesus, and you look very ordinary on the outside. Like you have two arms, I have two arms. You have two legs, I have two legs. Uh, you look like all the other Jews, uh, but but kind of like me. I've got a helmet, I've got a sword, I've got two arms, two legs. I've got a hundred guys that look almost exactly like me. But but I say go here and do that. I say you over there go guard that. You go give your life over there, and you got, and they do it. And it's not because I'm something special necessarily. It's because I represent something of a higher authority. I represent Rome. So I understand how authority works. And in you, man, there's something going on. Sickness, disease leaves at your command. And so there's something, something bigger in you, Jesus. You represent something far grander than I could ever conceive or imagine. And so you, you just say the word. You can, you can heal him wirelessly. You can, 
It doesn't matter where they're at. The power that you represent is far beyond anything we've ever seen. And so uh, he just kind of puts his trust, his confidence in Jesus. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Yours might say he was amazed. Thalmazo is the Greek word. Thalmazo. Only two times in Jesus' life does he drop his jaw and he's like, wow. I mean, if you've co-created the universe, like it takes a lot to make you drop your jaw and be like, man, that's surprising. He's like, wow. You checking this out? Peter, are you paying attention? Jews, do you see what's going on? And he says something that, well, again, this is, Jesus is always driving the crowds away rather than driving them in because few find the narrow path. He said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. It's about big faith. And this becomes the central theme uh, in the rest, of, I mean, throughout the whole Bible, but the rest of the New Testament, it's about faith. It's not so much about what you do or, or what you know, though those things come in relationship with God, but, but it's about faith, by grace through faith. This is what God wants for every one of us. This is what God gladly will develop in every one of us and in our church, that he would make us a church of big, outside the box, confidently trusting, growing in relationship, loving Jesus, enjoying him kind of faith. This is God's will for your life. This is his purpose for your life. And so then we ask the question, if that's true, okay, Lord, well, how do we grow in faith? Because I seem to just be drifting along, and I don't, I don't know that I have more faith than I did last year or certainly 10 years ago. How, how do we grow in faith? Well, I want to share with you five faith catalysts. Uh, th- these aren't original with me. I was in a conference about 15 years ago. Someone was teaching these, and as he was showing these five faith catalysts, I was like, wow, yeah, that's true in my life. That's true in my life. That's all five of them. And then I thought about all the people I talk to and walk with on their journey to faith. I'm like, you know what? These show up time and time and time again. And there's no single verse in the Bible that says these are God's five faith catalysts. But time and time again, we see God uses these five things to grow our faith. It isn't necessarily a list to do, but it's a list to be aware of so that you can leverage these things. When you see these things taking place in your life, you can know, hey, God is using this to grow my faith. So let me give a caveat to that first. Uh, On Wednesday night, we had our members meeting and um, after going through budget and all that stuff, the second half of the the meeting was uh, our ordination council for Pastor Matthew. Is Matthew in here? Oh, there's Matthew. Okay, and so Matthew's been with us for a year. We're about to ordain him. We're very excited about that. And so we had some questions for him. And the last question was, okay, Matthew, what's your plan? How do you plan to continue to grow uh, in all these areas and grow in your faith? And he he said, well, this is going to kind of sound kind of simplistic, but I think it's true. I just want to put myself under the, the waterfall of God's great means of grace. I, I, I plan on being a church, good church member. 
He's like, as long as God will allow me to be at Redemption Park, I want to be a good member. As long as God allows me to go to Redemption Castle Rock, I want to be a good member because I just believe that, that the, the context of, of the local body of Christ is how God works in all these things. And I said, you know, that's absolutely right. All five of these things find their fulfillment and purview under the, the, the relationship within the body of Christ. And so that's a caveat. Let's talk about those five things. When, when people tell their story, and they say, this is how God really grew my faith. One of, one of the things that they all say, first of all, is at a certain point they came to, uh, to, to, to come to this Bible and hear it preach or be in a Bible study or some way, shape, or form, practical teaching, or I'd say practical gospel-centered teaching, teaching that just said this word is actually alive, uh, it, it, that 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for, for teaching, correcting, uh, I got it in the wrong order. Help me out here. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might have, uh, be complete in all things. And so th- th- at some point, uh, went to a church, went to a Bible study, someone opened the word, and, and this wasn't just some magical book anymore, but, but I was able to see or hear for the first time, man, this really does apply to my life and the circumstances of my life. And, and, I, and, and when, I, when I hear it, I read it, I see, man, God's word is is actually alive. So practical teaching is one way that God opens up and explodes our faith. And then a second one, when people tell their story, as they've gone along, uh, they usually say uh, what we'll call providential relationships. And you look back on your life and you're like, uh, on my faith journey, God brought in that moment in my life, this person or this women's Bible study or this men's group or, or, or this group of guys uh, brought these people. And looking back on it, man, that wasn't an accident. God was providentially arranging things f- to grow my faith. And so just being aware, like God loves to grow our faith through providential relationships, people that can come in and in different seasons and different ways point us to God and, and our faith gets a little bit bigger as a result. And as we see their faith grow, we, we step in their footsteps. And so providential relationships. The third one is at a certain point, if your faith is going to grow, you've got to realize that it's, it's a faith that is your faith, that it's going to be active. Ephesians uh, 4 talks about that everyone who is a believer, and we talked about this in the catechism today, everyone who's a believer has spiritual gifts for the edification of the body, and, and therefore uh, this idea of having a personal ministry. Someone says, hey, I want you to lead this group. And you're like, oh, I don't think I can lead that group. And then you realize, oh, maybe that's the point. (laughs) Maybe God is asking me to step outside the box a little bit and and grow my faith. I remember uh, 1997, I was in the second floor overlooking the city of Prague in the School of Economics, and I was logged on to the local computers in, back in the dawn of the internet and uh, logged on to my Hotmail account and uh, got an email from my mentor, Pastor Kita Andrews, and he had said, hey, I just, I just got back from Japan. W- want to know if you want to go this summer and, and minister, share the gospel, teach Bible studies with Marines. I'm like, 
I don't even know where Okinawa is. I've never. T- I've only been a Christian a couple years. Like I, I've learned a lot. I've, I've, I've studied a lot, but I've, I've never. I don't know if I can do it. But then I was like, okay, uh, I'll do it. And so I remember flying there. Like this is this is weird. And the first Wednesday night, uh, my other mentor said, okay, you're going to teach. And what are you going to teach? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to teach. And so I just picked John chapter 15. And he was like, oh, okay. So do you know what? Like kind of the theological controversy of John 15. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just, I just taught this terrible Bible study and uh, I, I taught all summer these terrible, terrible messages with full of heresy, I'm sure. But in all of that, God was saying, see, I'll use you in spite of yourself. And my faith got just a little bit bigger. So, so finding a, a point where it's not all about sitting in rows and having input in your life, but at some point, uh, taking a step of faith, going on a short-term mission trip go, uh, is great. I, we, we, we would do those, and I would tell the team all the time, hey, this is not about who we're going to serve. Like, you'll probably do nothing of eternal value there. But if you can just be outside your comfort zone and, and, and see God at work, your faith will grow. And so let's, let's go with this on that. So personal ministry. Uh, the next one is almost every time when you look back on your life and your faith journey, wherever you're at, God uses pivotal circumstances. These are just moments in life. Sometimes they're hard. Often they're hard moments in life. Like you're going through something in a relationship or, or someone gets sick and someone, someone dies or you lose your job or you, you have to move across the country. You have to change schools. You're, you struggle uh, with infertility. Like all these things that really could go <clears throat> either direction. And in those moments, <clears throat> God woos you and says, I want you to trust me in this. I know it's hard. But you can look at the cross and know that I am working all things together for good. I have, I have taken care of your biggest problem in life. And ultimately, I have put this thing in your life providentially and circumstances so that you would turn and trust me because that is what is eternal value, that our faith would grow. And so sometimes it's a good thing. Like, like you, you, you get married and you're like, man, we, we should probably do something spiritual or you have a baby and you're like, oh, this is, a, this is an image bearer of God. I'm not even sure what that means. We, we should probably teach it something about God. And uh, they're like, do you know anything about God? I don't know. We better go to a church and give this to someone that can teach us about God. And so sometimes it's a good thing, but it's a pivotal circumstance. You look back on your life, God worked. Again, this is not a list that you can necessarily do. I, I'll have a pivotal circumstance and a providential relationship. No, but you can, you, you can be like, God, I, I want to be aware of how you grow my faith because that's what's most important. And finally, it is what we'd say private disciplines. At a certain point, someone came alongside you and said, hey, let me show you how to read the Bible. Let me show you how to apply the Bible. This is why in our gospel communities, we keep it very simple. We read a small passage and we say, what does it say about God? Oh, this is what it says. What does it say about us? Oh, this is what it says. How do we apply it? Okay, there we go. And then someone showed you. Someone showed you how to pray. Like you can talk to God and you're like, well, what, what, if, I, what if I use the wrong words? And you say, God is going to get you. And no, no, you say, uh, no, don't worry about what the words are. It's the heart. It's, it's a growing relationship. You're talking to a God who wants to be in relationship with you. 
You say, well, okay, and, and someone finally shows you, you know what, uh, if you want to release that, that idolatry, that grip of greed on your heart, let me show you. Become a, a percentage giver. And you're like, oh, no, that's my money. I, that's really tied up. And, and it wasn't until you finally said, okay, uh, because he said I could do it, and he does, and I'm going to try it. And you realize, man, I, I can trust God, he's into growing our faith. Someone showed you how to, why fasting is important, why, why taking a Sabbath, why silence and solitude. These things all together uh, are what God uses to blow up our faith. That's what God is after. And he's, all of us wants to be on, on a journey. So if I, I, my wife and I have a friend, her name's Shannon. If we were to bring Shannon up here to tell your story, she, we'd probably all put her in the category like, oh yeah, she's got too much faith. I, I can't even deal with that. I'm going to go on. Because Shannon, you know, she's, she's, she has some natural birth kids. She's got some international adopted kids. She's got three or four foster kids. I can't even keep up with this much. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's a lot. And then um, she, uh, she is active. She is active in reaching out to her neighbors. She's active in sharing the gospel. Like she, she will tell people that she doesn't know about Jesus. And you're like, wow. And, and she started ministries. Like from scratch, like she, she goes to the hardest parts of town in, in the inner city and she, she goes to, to the girls that work in the adult entertainment industry and, and she reaches out to them with the love of Jesus. And you're just like, wow, she's got big, big faith. Except for we get to go back 10 years with Shannon. And God using kind of the perfect storm of all five of these things where, where Shannon's on a, a women's short-term mission trip in Thailand with my wife and she has a, a breakdown. She realizes, I, I don't know Jesus like the way you guys talk. You talk about him personally. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about the Bible. I, I don't even know why I'm on this trip. And God just using all that to bring her to faith in that moment and her to begin a journey. And it's a journey. And all of us can take a step today in that journey. And all of us can grow a little bit more today with his help and his grace. Because in the end, it's not about what you know. It's not even about what you do. It's about your trust in him. So one of the ironies of Jesus' life is that the people that knew this the most and the people that had applied this the most in terms of their external behavior they did not think they were unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. They questioned where Jesus got his authority. They certainly didn't bow down before him. They just thought, I got this. Because if you only pursue knowledge, apart from dependent, gospel-centered relationship with God, you know what? You'd become arrogant. You win Bible trivia contests. You look down at other people. Uh, he said, go to the Gospel of Mark. She didn't even know where that is. Give me your Bible. It's right here. <sighs> God, you must be happy to have me on your team. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, you could be the most consistent, like don't smoke, no, don't drink, don't go out with girls that do kind of person, and just live in your life. You're like, God... Now, God, I don't know what's up with her. I don't know why she wears that. I don't know why he watches that. I don't know why they listen to that. I don't know oh, why they go to these things. God, man, look at their dirty lives. God, I, I don't watch those movies. I don't wear those clothes. I, I, don't, I, I don't go. I don't even know what the interwebs are. I don't know what a blog is. I've never been there. God, thank you very much. Um, Ed, 
and just be like, God, man, you must be so proud of me. Are you keeping score, God? Because I think my score is pretty high if we're doing a score thing here. So if you just pursue obedience apart from a love-dependent relationship on the Lord, then you just become boastful, proud, self-righteous. So one day, when the crowds were following Jesus, Jesus says, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to get your attention. I want to introduce you to my friend, Mr. Roman Centurion. He doesn't know the Bible, never been to the temple. Quite frankly, his spiritual resume is quite sketchy. But he's seen something that no one else has seen. He's seen that he's not worthy to be in my presence. And he's right. But he's, in humility, appealed to me in faith. And no one else has done that. Only one other time in the Bible does it say Jesus was amazed. It's in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, it's the same time uh, in Jesus' life. He's just taught on the Sermon on the Mount. He goes to his hometown, people he grew up with. He begins to tell them about the kingdom of God. And they're like, but you're just Jesus. You look like us. In fact, your parent, you're kind of sketchy background. Like, you're just Jesus. And in in, in some of the saddest words in the whole Bible, in Mark chapter 6, it says, I'm not even there. It says, and Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. So in the end, whatever path you choose, in the end, you're going to have amazing faith. Either Jesus is going to be amazed that in spite of all the, the, the opportunities you had to know him, to love him, to, to enjoy him, you said, I'll, I'll do it on my own. He'll be amazed. I can't believe you walked away from that. Or by God's grace, and our prayer is, in the end, you get to a point where your faith amazes Jesus because you walked with him on a hard, narrow path. So just be aware of these, these five things. Be aware that that is God's will for your life. You can fail in every other area, but don't miss this. He wants to walk with you on that path. To that end, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your grace, Lord. If any one of us has even the smallest seed of faith, your word reminds us that you put that there. May that be a source of encouragement. If there's any affection for you, any, any inclination to, to want to know you at all, Lord, that is evidence of your grace in our life, and you want to grow that mustard seed faith in each one of us. So, Lord, would you use these circumstances, these catalysts in our lives? Would you just grow our faith as a community that we might be known as people that are at rest and in peace, free from anxiety, trusting you, walking with you, and seeing you work in and through us to the end that Jesus is seen, savored, and glorified. We pray. Amen.